Welcome to the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Tackling some of the biggest issues in men's mental health. Hello, welcome back. Series 2, Episode 6 of Yorkshire Grip. Today I am joined by John Tienan. That's right, isn't it? Tienan Lock. Tienan. Lock. Lock. There's two bits to it. <laughs> uh, is it Irish? Uh, first part of it is, yeah. He's really kindly come up from uh, Plymouth via Bristol today, which is a long trek, so I really appreciate that because travelling can be a bastard. Especially now. But yeah, thanks for having me. No, mate, anytime. Um, just a quick one on people at the moment and how people are doing and stuff. I've, I'm, you know, I'm seeing like people are really struggling and people's mental health and I'm not one of these people to kind of say, oh, it's going to be all right. You know, you know, you can, you can get through this time and stuff. But um, if I can, anyone can. And, um, you know, hopefully this vaccine will be sorted and we can all kind of crack on and get back to life. But thank you for all the love that people are ascending it really does help a lot you know Yorkshire Grit was always kind of established just to help one person really and we've kind of gone above and beyond that really so it's it's really nice to hear so anyway without further ado how do I introduce you now what should I say should I um guys always a bit, a bit hard that isn't it it's like your Facebook interests from when you were what are you looking for 16 to <laughs> I don't know what you want Plymouth that's where you're living at the moment yeah just outside yeah me Janner Majana, that's it, Green Army. Um, my best mate's the Plymouth and we go to, we used to go to Plymouth away games. <laughs> to Argo, yeah. Crew. Oh nice. Millwall, Wolves. But um no, how's life? It's good, yeah. Treat me well, thanks, mate. It's um You're looking well. Do you go on thanks. the sunbeds? That's all natural. They're shot. Yeah. I can't even go on them. They're shot at the yeah. moment. <laughs> you go on some of their lads. All year round town I got. <laughs> you, you look like a Spanish tennis player. Oh, is that, I think that's a compliment. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're looking good, lad. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. No, life is good, yeah. Um, there's strange times at the moment, isn't it? Like so, being locked down solo is not being, not being the best. I sold my house recently and my new one's a little way off, so I've been back with my parents for a couple of months, so that's that's been good. A bit of company, dogs and that, so what's yeah, your, that's helped. What's your mum and dad's name? Chris and Marisha. And what are they like? Are they? Yeah, they're absolutely legends. Best ever parents. <laughs> no, they're great. Do you, do you get on with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not a chore being there at all, yeah. It's brilliant. And they live in Plymouth? Yeah, just outside. Well, it's Cornwall, but just like, yeah, near Plymouth, 10 miles. I messaged you and reached out for various reasons, really. Because, you know, if you kind of defragment what you've been through, mm. the highs and lows, you know, you need therapy for a good bloody 20 years after that <laughs> <laughs> to kind of um, to deal with that. But if we, if we kind of take it back to the beginning, when mm. you were young, being brought up in Plymouth, what was the sport then? Like, what were your mates doing? Were they... I lived in a village just outside of Plymouth, a few miles outside, and um, it was it was kind of like the only way to get around. You know, all my all my all my Jana mates at school, <laughs> they were out, they were getting into cooler things like smoking, you know, and yeah. like a bit of shoplifting and that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah. We just rode our bikes, and I, I saw an advert in the back of MBUK yeah. for a race, cross country race. I sort of like badged my parents to take me. I did quite well at it. I had an absolute jalopy of a bike. You know, it was yeah. an absolute shed. It's, I think it said specialised on it, but it wasn't. Someone like resprayed it, like put some decals on it. Yeah. And I didn't even love it because it was, it's hard. You know, you're tasting blood. It's like, it's just, it's like. And it's hilly, hilly. Is it hilly where you are? Yeah, real hilly. Yeah. 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 Just right near Dartmoor. And all the races are hilly. I'm quite stubborn. So because I didn't win it, I thought, right, I'm going to go back. I'm going to win one of these. Yeah. And it just kind of went from there, really. So did you enter into bike races at a, at a young age? I think I did my first one when I was 14, something like that. 
Um, it, was a, it was like a low level sort of thing. But did you did you love it? Did you think to yourself? Because what we found out when we talked to people is when they're about I don't know nine, ten, you know, around that age, mm. they um, experiment with different sports, mm. and then they find the one that they like. But for you, was it kind of did it, did it feel? You know, did it? You know, I played cricket for a bit. I was like, no, nah, that ain't me. Mm. I played football. Nah, that ain't me. But when it came to cycling, I was like, yeah, no, this is me. Mm. Did you feel a bit like that? A little bit, yeah. I think at school, I was always, I was quite a good sort of endurance athlete. Like I was always winning the like the cross country, yeah. doing the you know the high score and the bleak test stuff like that. And then when I got into cycling, I liked, um, I just liked things about the bikes as well, like the machines messing around, like you know buying new parts of chain reaction, you know, like. Um, so that appealed to me, yeah. But it it wasn't something that I, I didn't come from a cycling family, nothing like that. Um, but were your mum and dad were they, were they really uh, progressive? Were they, you know, were they like? Yeah, they were supportive. They didn't really understand it, but they took us to races and stuff. My brother dabbled in it as well for a bit. But um, yeah, they 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 were good. But like I said, it wasn't something I loved originally. It was more like a challenge. You know, I mm. wasn't winning straight away, and I thought maybe I can be good at this. So I sort of stuck at it. Finished school, mm. went to uni at Bristol. Well, I lived in France actually first. I rode for, um, I did sixth form and then I went to, I had not a bad mountain bike career and I got selected to ride Worlds in Sierra Nevada. I, I got ill, so I didn't go. And that lasted for quite a few months. I'm not really sure what it was. I just couldn't train. I was, you know, some sort of virus. Fucked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was, I, I guess that was my first sort of like um, experience of, of, of kind of depression really because you just that was you know that was I was set on that yeah, thought, yeah. I could have a career in cycling and we had foot and mouth and all those other things and the mountain bike scene was dying off the trade teams were were, were disappearing and people were just getting paid like lottery money you know yep. it was more national teams but I went to I went to France actually Yanto Barker hooked me up with um with a team called UVO I think Malcolm Elliott had been there is that Normandy way uh no it's Champagne region in a town called Troyes I've been Troyes. there I've been yeah. to Champagne Yes, yeah, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice place to race a bike. I've also been to Cognac. <laughs> That's, yeah, so I was, I went there, went to CCA Toops the next year. Now that that is a good team. That was a real good team. Yeah, they'd had some problems in the past and stuff, but I went there. I started off, I was absolutely flying, was doing really well, and um, I got Epstein Barr virus, glandular fever, whatever. Really knocked me for six, and um, yeah, then that's when I sort of jacked in cycling for a few years. Went to uni instead. I had pneumonia, yeah. which is the same family. Um, as Epstein Barr, and if you look at Cav now, it does fuck you for a long time. I don't think it ever quite leaves you. Mm. Possibly, yeah. It's, it, it's hard. It's it's hard to tell, isn't it? Because you you don't have a, a a parallel you to just test that theory out. You, you'd almost wish you could have a broken leg because then you know when the broken leg's fixed. Yeah. But with something like that, it's like, oh no, I feel all right today. And then you push yourself, and you then you go back ten paces. It's um, so you went to Bristol. Did you have fun there? Were you were you drinking? Were you or were you, you know? Yeah, that was normal life. That was like because you don't have that in cycling. I was living like an absolute monk. You know, it's yeah. just um, you make so many sacrifices. So uni was brilliant because it allowed me to stop obsessing about things that I did in cycling. I had a bit of an unhealthy uh, relationship with eating and stuff. You yeah, know, we got about that, all, didn't we? Yeah. get my weight down and you know all, all kinds of stupid stuff there and. You could just forget about that at uni. So it was it, that was a positive thing. And um, that sort of helped, I think that helped get me back on track and pull me out of a, I was in a, quite a dark place when I came back from France and decided to go to uni, definitely. And what did you study? Uh, like in product design, industrial design. Right, okay. And then that would have been 2000 and what, like eight, seven? Um, 2008 was the last year of that, yeah. 
And then did you start cycling a little bit the back end of uni and you're thinking to yourself, right, you know, because four years later, you, no, three years later, you got fifth at Tour of Britain, didn't you? So you must have done some serious training. Yeah, I think, um, well, it never really leaves you, does it? But I did, um, I picked it up in my final year at uni and I had a club, Mid-Devon Cycling Club, and they were really supportive. They would pay my, um, like my entries to all the prems, my travel, B&B, stuff like that. And uh, I had a good year that year, won loads of national Bs, that sort of thing. And that kind of confirmed to him. I thought, actually, yeah, it's not, it can be more than, you know, more than just a hobby again. I can actually, you know, pick up where I left off. So mm. that was that was a good year. It's funny then that, that you said you won a load of national Bs because um, that's all I ever could win. I never got any better than that. Yeah. I think people used to like almost downgrade national Bs, but do you know how hard they are to win? Some of them are, yeah, the proper races. They are, but do you know me and you have won the same stage race? Which one's that? Have a guess. It's in Totnes Veer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you won that? Yeah, I won it. That's in... an illustrious list of champions. Yeah, in that one. <laughs> I won it in 2012. Did you? Um, yeah, won it, won it in 2012. But, well, I kind of, I look back at it now and I, I did cheat. Oh, well. I, I uh, didn't in my one. <laughs> I um, did really well in the time trial, the prologue. <clears throat> yeah. And I got in the break. Mm. And with me and this other lad towards the end of the race. And I said to him, if you go to the line, you know, I won't attack. Because I was obviously going to be in yellow. Yeah. Because he did really shit in the prologue. But he kept on trying to drop me towards mm. the line. I was like, ah. and I thought, oh, fuck you. Yeah. And I sprinted past him. <laughs> and they all weren't very happy. It was that primal team. Oh, yeah. That's a local. Tom uh, Stockdale. Yeah. Yeah. And I was not liked. He's quite a good sprinter, actually. Yeah, he, he was, yeah. And then the next day, he got called off because the rain. All right. So, wins a win. That's not cheating. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's a bit of a hollow victory. Wins but. a win. <laughs> um, Do you still get all your points? You get yeah, your yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get a jersey or anything. Oh, okay. But uh, no, I've got fond memories of down there. Um, Yanto's from there. He is, yeah. Uh, Mr. Barker at Lacole. We've just been talking about Lacole. Who else is from there? Jez? Yeah. Jez is from there, yeah. Tough man, tough man. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, good career. Absolute hit. GP Plouet, what a win. Yeah. Yeah, a Such a cool photo as well, no helmets, coming past Cookie. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, you've got a bit of a, fo when I put the Instagram thing up, I had like 200 likes or something, and Reese Lloyd, James McLaughlin, and Mark Mark Thwaite, Scott's brother. All good lads, yeah. All put like God. <laughs> and then they put no mitts, no vest, no glasses. Was that a thing for you? Did you just... I get this feeling that you, you didn't want any distractions. You just... I, I mean, I'll be honest. Some Sometime you were the team, and I can say it now, you just want to be in Oakleys, don't you? And, and, they, yeah. and they give you... Well, they've got 100% are quite good now. The Sagan ones look quite good. They look all right. That wasn't a thing then. But It wasn't. It was only Oakley back then. If you're giving crap ones, I'd, I'd just rather wear nothing. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of a crap, crap like, block. <laughs> oh. Madison de Arcs remember those things <laughs> like even Rudy Project did some awful sunglasses oh, I had some of those Ul Ulrich ones Equinox I think oh, they're called terrible um, so anyway you uh, finish uni and you started training again mm. it never leaves you yeah and then is that when you said you were going to get on Marshall's Pasta yeah just towards the end Griffo. of that year I've been chatting yeah exactly chatting to them to to basically ride the Tour of Britain. And I can't remember what race it was. It was um, uh, it was somewhere, maybe a Surrey League or something. And I was in, I think I was in a break with a couple of the guys. I'd won, load, I'd won a lot around that time. It was going really well. Came around the corner and there was a horse in the road. I don't remember it, but <gasps> I plowed into the back of it, broke my collarbone. So I um, I missed the end of that season. But then in that off season, uh, I got a call from John Herity. He said, do you want to ride next year? 
um, I think Christian House sort of put them onto me. So um, yeah, sort of, sort of really, really grateful for that. Well, to those those two guys in particular, you know, for sort of I was I was going to jack cycling in probably the end of that year, so I sort of credit them with that. And then that was 2011 when you. Uh, I went to that team, Rafa, Condor, Sharp, it was, in yep. 2010. Was Chris Newton on that team then? Yeah, he was, yeah. <sighs> what a hero he is. Yeah, it was a good team, really solid team. And then that year, 2010, you had some decent results. Yeah. Considering you'd been, you'd been out, you know, you'd been away for a while. But then it was 2011 when you got fifth at the Tour of Britain. Yeah, end of season, yeah. That must have been, that must have been quite unexpected, that. Well, no, actually, no, it wasn't, because you were in a stage of Vuelta... Cyclista a Leon. Mm. So you've always been good, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I've been all right. <laughs> um, and then you won, did you, did you win Rydell? I, I want to say Rydell. Uh, yeah, it was Rydell, yeah. You won that and then you got fifth at Tour of Britain. Was it after that fifth at Tour of Britain, did it make you think to yourself, hey, you know, I could be, I could I, I could win that next year? Yeah, I mean, there or, were a few Or was things. it always a bit like, nah? We did this race in, um, we did Tour Korea, uh, which was not a bad race. Yeah. A bit obscure, but some good riders there and um, it was in I think it was in April you know when you see the um, all yeah, the cherry April. blossom out and stuff Yeah. and I, I I don't have asthma or whatever but I, this day I did sort of exercise induced asthma I was like breathing through a straw lost a bunch of time spent the rest of the race clawing my way back I think I ended up third or something and um, it was Christian House and he sort of said like you, you've you got something a bit but you know you could go beyond sort of riding for Conti teams you just need to you know work on a few things your positioning and whatnot. And that was that was evident in that tour of Britain. I remember starting that climb in um, Caffelli Mountain, I think it's called. Did they go up it twice, or was that the year after? Yeah, this year it only went up it once. And I, I started basically. I was I was going after the King of the Mountains points because I thought I'm not going to do well on GC, so I'll just go after those. And um, I started at nearly the back, and I was zigzagging through everywhere. And I came out at the top uh, in front, sorry. And I thought, God, if I'd started in front, and it, it was that that I kind of thought you need to pull your finger out, and you know get a bit more serious about this. Well, you only finished a minute down from the winner that year. Did I? Yeah. That's just ridiculous. That is just, in, considering you're on a Conti team. Yeah. You know, the people who beat Good you. Good Conti team though. We had, some, we had some brilliant riders on that team, definitely. Um, and then the year after that was 2012. Yes. So how did the Endura thing come about? Were you in a good place then? Were you... Yeah, I was, yeah. Were you happy? Were you, were you in Plymouth? Um, I was, and I moved to Bristol. I had a girlfriend who was living, uh, she was doing a master's in Bristol. So yeah. we both moved to live together there. Those teams were brilliant. Got great memories from that. Really good group of lads, great camaraderie. Um, and we always had good results. And, and, you, and you kind of feed off that, you know, if someone's winning something, then it kind of motivates you to do the same. And I, I went to Endura. Oh, that team. I remember when they turned up to Eddie Sowens and stuff, and it was just like, yeah, this ain't fair. Yeah. This ain't, yeah, I'm, I'm working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, no, some riders on that team, definitely. Paul Voss. Yeah, Russ, Vossy. Russ Downing, Scott Thwaites. Yeah, Zach Dempster, Bibby, McAvoy. Oh. Uh, Iker Camaño, the Spanish guy, remember him? It's not fair. Uh, One station of Welch, I think. Blaine? Yeah. Fuck. Good riders. So that year, 2012, to say it was spectacular is a bit of an understatement, isn't mm. it, to be fair? Could it have, could it have gone any better? I don't think so. I mean, I, I broke my collarbone at Lincoln. I was going really well that day as well. I remember well. when you did that. Yeah, I can't remember who's... I think it was... Um, it was before Micklegate. I was I was third wheel, so I thought, I'm pretty safe here. Yeah. And uh, somewhere, I think maybe it was... Was it that? No, Cronshaw. <laughs> Going to blame him. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was to the right of his wheel. I don't know. Something happened and I hit a, um, I hit a marshal. 
on a bollard just at the bottom. You did probably what speed are you doing there? Forty five mile an hour, yeah, something like that. Just before Mickelgate, yeah. Yeah, you're going quick. And uh, yeah, I don't really remember it, but I just woke up like broken. Was that June, May? Uh, May, Lincoln is. Um, because you won Torremed. Yes, that was my first race that year, I think. You won Torremed. You beat some absolute hitters that day, by the way. And then, yeah, we've, we've done that such a disservice, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just won Torremed. But then you won Tour de Hope Var, which is like a real famous race. In, yeah. Whereabouts in France is that? Um, so the Hope Var reason, it's down south. Now, the way you won that stage was pretty spectacular, wasn't it? Because it's... It's a proper mint finish, isn't it? It's oh, you like, mean Hope Var? Yeah. Stage two, yeah. It's like left, right, left, right, cobbled, like a little bit of a like narrow streets. It has like, it's quite a technical finish, isn't it? Uphill. On that, that particular, it's not the same route each year, but that one was, yeah, that's why I was, it sort of really appealed to me. So it finished up a climb called the Murder Faience, yeah. which means Wall of Faience. And it's, um, I don't know what percentage it was, but it was like maybe 30 in play. It was ridiculous. I had no idea I was going to win it. There was a breakaway away. I was just thinking about GC and... No one wanted to pull to the line because they all knew what I was going to do because I've been going well. Anyway, we got to the go under the Flam Rouge and you've got a K of ridiculously steep hill. I couldn't even see him at first and I just thought, I'm just going to go. And, I just, <laughs> and then you could see him and I thought, well, I'm never going to get to them. But then you, you, you're creeping, you're doing like four mile an hour. So by the time, I, I think it was the 250 metres to go banner yeah. and they were still miles away, but um, they're just absolutely on their knees. So I, I, I came around the last guy just in the last like 50 metres or something. It was... Um, Julian... El Farah. Yeah, El Faraz, yeah. Yeah, good rider, actually. Um, but they were all dead. They'd been in the break all day, I think. But. So what was that like to to win Hope Var? Surprising. <laughs> but how did you feel afterwards? Yeah, good. I've been, absolutely, I've been going well, really well. Um, it was kind of a continuation from the year before, really. Like, I'd done pretty well through the summer. Then the Tour of Britain gave me a bit more conviction. I'd been going really well on training camp with Endura. Obviously, the Tour of the Med, that... That first stage win, that was a bit of a surprise. Didn't really plan it to, you know, to happen like that. So, um, yeah, it felt good for sure. But you were lean, weren't you? You were like... Oh, yeah, massively. Like, I'd really worked on that in the winter. And was that hard? Was that... Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily go about it the right way. You know, sort of crash dieting, these like two-day fast, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I definitely got my weight down. But it worked. Yeah, and I was trying to I was trying to shed muscle mass. I'd always, you know, I'd carried sort of too much, a bit upper body, stuff like that. So if you look at photos that year and and the year after as well, I was um I got so skinny. But you said in the car, you said something funny about how you had no explosivity anymore. There was a race that you did. Yeah, th there was. I remember that. Um Bayern Rundfahrt with with Sky and I was put on the um duties of sort of marshalling all the attack at the start and then just riding tempo really. And um if someone went, I'd have to slowly claw them back in the saddle. I couldn't even sprint after them because I was so all, depleted. All your grunts had just gone. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> just from crash dieting. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, it's a fine line, it really is. If you were to say to a young person now who was just like a neo pro, mm. who's pressured to be skinny and like, because it is. Let's just be honest. You do have to be pretty mm -hmm. skinny unless you're riding for Rabobank development team and you can be, you know, hefty. Yeah, but um. What would you say to someone now? Like, what 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 would you say to you, the younger you? I've I've coached uh, younger people, men and women, and you think that's that's a massive thing. You know, they're um they're keeping food diaries, not necessarily being honest with you in it because you think what they write down is not, it, it doesn't kind of add up with the training they're doing and the, and the weight they're at. I'd say don't obsess about that. I massively did, and, and you know, got quite disordered eating uh, several points through my career, and that sort of really negatively affects your mental health as well. It's not just 
it's not just the act of, you know, maybe being bulimic or whatever. It's everything that goes with that afterwards. Um, those feelings of like shame and disappointment and being sneaky. Yeah, exactly. You, it's, you feel yeah. deceitful and underhanded because you, you know, you know, you shouldn't really be doing it, but, um, it's a, it's a difficult sort of cycle to break really. So I'd say don't be too obsessed with, with your weight. You know, if you, if you're putting the hours in training and you're fueling properly, you're probably going to be at the, um, probably going to be yeah exactly or there or thereabouts just be the way you need to be and it's more important to be powerful have those powers of recovery day to day than it is to be to be super light especially in the uk we don't have mountains you know i always said this i got down to 80 kilos in 2015 yeah and that was fucking hard work Mm. um i got down to 80 kilos i had like veins in my arms and never had that before i had I, (laughs) I, i had one vein in my leg I was like, fucking hell. I'm, Solitary I'm, vein. I'm getting lean. But I didn't win a race that year. Yeah. But I finished every Prem I did. Because mm. Charlie Grand Prix, Hilly, Torres, Hilly, Wiltshire GP went up this fucking... I remember it, that. Um, yeah. I finished every uh, Prem. That was Hilly. I was like, fucking hell. But National B-wise, because mm. you just don't have any power. It's like, it's all well and good being light, but you, you do definitely sacrifice... Being who you are, being like punchy and having that three minute where you can bang it in the 11 and go boom, boom. Definitely. But it, it is, it's a fine line again. I remember I came back and did some amateur races in um, 2016. I did my best ever five minute power numbers before the start of that season, but I was 10 kilos heavier. You know, I was crap. I couldn't climb. So, I mean, 10 kilos is, it, you know, that's one extreme to the other. But yeah. what were you doing for five minutes? 590. Fuck off. Yeah. Are you being serious? Yeah. And and before that, I think when I was sort of 64 kilos, I was I'd maybe be like 485. I wouldn't I wouldn't go over 500. So I'd added loads, but I was low. I had way more muscle mass, definitely. Scott Thwaites coached me for a little bit. Mm. And you know, he sh- did you ever do the Todd Yorkshire? Uh, no, I didn't. Goes up East Shevin, mm. which is like 8%. And he said, right, I want you to do five minutes at 450, then five minutes at 360. And you've got to do that three times. Yeah. So 450, 360, 450, 360. I could never finish the last 450. Mm. I could never do it. I could do the first two. Yeah, it's tough to repeat those efforts, isn't it? It takes a lot of you. But but like to do five, and like you obviously weighed 64 kilos. I was weighing like 82. Mm. Gab's colleague did fi- 551 or something for five minutes. Mm. Um, it's just mad power to think that someone can do 100 watts more than me. Is like, and I was apps. My heart rate was like one night. I was passing yeah. out, <laughs> passing out. Yeah. But to think, if I was to do the Todd York show, I just got dropped. <laughs> that that five. <laughs> I just get. I just get. I wouldn't even be able to keep up with. You know. Um. Yeah, it's just mad. Flat stage with a headwind all day, maybe. <sighs> yeah, but 100 watts is a lot, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Especially at the end of a four-day stage race. So yeah, and then you won. Uh, you got second at another race overall. So, uh, oh yeah, uh, Walter Mercia, and then that. and then do you won Tour de Alsace a little bit? After. Yeah, I had a, quite a bit of a break because I had a crash and at Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then that kind of brings us on to to the Tour of Britain, really. Mm. Do you look back at that with you know fond memories, or you know obviously that they haven't given you it, or do you look back at it as no, I, I won that and I believe I won it? Yeah, like. definitely the latter, and, and and fond memories as well. We had. Um, great group of lads in the team that year all the staff the mechanics the ds every, everyone it was just um it just really worked well it was a bit of pressure going into it you know because i 
the route suited me. I just thought, there's no chance I'm going to win this. Well, no, because it's a continental team. It's like yeah. the FA Cup. It's like Shrewsbury Town trying to be... And not just that. There's too many. There are too many things. There's too many variables in these races. That too many things that could go wrong. And you think it's uh, you know it's it's a real sort of roll of the dice. But um, yeah, we did. I think the stage that you won it was Caffili Mountain this time. Yeah, I didn't win the stage because uh, you went up it twice. Yeah, I got second on the stage. I think. Now I know this because Sky signed Josh Edmondson because of his performance up Caffili Mountain twice. Uh, okay. Because he stuck with you, didn't he? No, you were Maybe ten sec. You you held him up Caffili Mountain twice and the circuit around it. I know they weren't far behind. No, ten seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he started right at the back. All oh, right, so he actually probably went up quicker. He went up, and they obviously calculated that one. Oh, okay. This lad side at the back. Yeah, because you saw him in his GB kit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was going well that year. It was going really well. You and him both went to Sky after that. Mm. So. You won the Tour of Britain, celebrating, blah, blah, blah. Would you, like, get on the piss and stuff immediately after? I didn't so much that year. I did a bit, but other years, I remember, like I mentioned, the Tour of Korea before and stuff, and, yeah, we just go out straight afterwards and but properly get on it because, you you, just, you know, you, you miss out on all that so much that you get that opportunity and, yeah, sort of take it too far sometimes. Um, so Tour of Britain was over. How did the Sky thing come about? Did they contact you or did you... they? Did I'd been talking to them all year actually? Um, I can't remember who left the team. Maybe someone got injured, or was it maybe that thing with Michael Barry at the start of the year? I, I was in a hotel room at the tour of the Med, and I got called. Can't remember who was from now. Maybe Railsford. I can't remember. And they said, "Did I want to ride for the team?" But it was going to be. It wasn't going to be a great, um, great situation. And Brian Smith sort of said, "You know, I wouldn't recommend it." And out of a sense of loyalty to Endura as well. So no, I, I stayed, and we chatted through the year. I went on the training camp with them. Um, with a few of the guy guys who were doing the Tour de France that year out in um, Tenerife, uh, yeah. So we we're in touch all year, really. So it was it was always uh, I, although I hadn't signed till after the Worlds, it was always like that was where I was going to go. And what was that like to sign with Sky, you know, Pinarello, and yeah. or do those things not really matter? You just kind of like, I suppose they don't really matter, really. You know, it's like a bike's a bike, isn't it? When you're yeah, a bike's level. a bike. You just, I mean, you, you sort of get what you're given. But um, was it good money? Was it decent money? Yeah, it was. Good. Well, it was more than obviously a lot more than. Um, Go on, how, how much are we talking here, John? I can't, I can't disclose that. I can't remember, <laughs> but it was, it was, yeah, it was way better than obviously you get on a Conti team. They've got a massive budget, haven't they? And then you got 19th at the Worlds, yeah, which is outrageous to think, really, just to finish that race, 260k. That's because that's the Amstel Gold circuit, basically. It, it was, yeah, yeah, 260k, yeah. God. So did you see Gilbert when he attacked? Yes. Well, I saw him riding away. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got, I went to. Sort of you, stand you up out of the saddle, and he was just uh, just had nothing there, and he was just accelerate. He just put daylight between him straight away, like a couple of pedal strokes, and he was gone. What was it like to be six hours in the saddle at that point? Are you hanging on? Or no, I didn't feel it. I I, I think I, it's ages ago now, but I went with a move um, at one point, maybe it was towards the end of the race, which I probably shouldn't have done because you know that took a bit out of me. But um, he was just on another level that day. It was unreal to watch, you know. And well, then when, and he, when watched, he when he attacked, yeah, and you watch the uh, the videos back and stuff, and yeah, it's just just like cruising. But it's quite. I always think when it's the world championships or something like that, I always, if I was to do it and mm. I was to get a place, like say I got nineteenth, this is how my mind works. A bit weird. This, I'd always say, well, there's only eighteen people who are better than me at the world at cycling. On that day, yeah, yeah, it's weird, it, but it's what a great thing to say that. It's, mm. I think that's really, I, I would, I would have that mm. for that for that year. I go, there's only eighteen people on this planet who are better than me at cycling. 
it was a good experience. It definitely it made me think actually on these on these one day races, like I've got I thought I had more to give. If I played it a bit better or whatever, you know, maybe I could have got a few, you know, sort of places higher, but it was a good experience. I've done Worlds before. I did them as uh, under 23. You, yeah, because I remember looking looking at your legs. I remember seeing <laughs> your legs and thinking, this guy ain't a climber. Yeah. And you even said you did have big legs. Yeah. Yeah, I would have thought you would have, you'd have done well around like Liège and Bratton's Peel and mm. Amstel and stuff. Mm. I reckon that would have suited you. I did ride those, but at the service of other people in Sky. So you get to, you might have ridden in the wind, affects rain capes, bottles, you know, someone gets a puncture and you bring them back on or stops for a, you know, a nature break, you bring them back on and you get to the pointy end of the race and you just got nothing. So where you think you actually might perform, I'm just absolutely gassed. And they, they don't even start, you know, it doesn't even go on Eurosport till the last 100k or something. So you might, it's a 260k race. I might be out the back by then. So yeah. it was, um, it was a, that was a bit of a tough experience of learning that. Because obviously 2013 didn't go according to plan. Yeah. In terms of your results, performances. Obviously, yeah, you're working for others. How can you kind of, what do you think kind of went wrong in that year? What is it, is it something you can put your finger on that you can talk about? Was it yeah. the training? Was it? It was the first year that I was coached properly with a power meter and stuff. And I think, like I alluded to earlier in the, uh, when we chatted before this, I was obsessed with getting my weight down and becoming a better climber and improving my time trialing, which was a weakness. Because you're doing longer climbs and Yeah, yeah. And, and I just, I lost a lot of that explosivity and a lot of actually what I didn't really understand or maybe coaches didn't either, my sort of physiology. I didn't really fit that mold. I was never going to be able to repeat those. You know, if I was to do a threshold effort, it might look pretty good, but I couldn't then do it again yeah. because it's not really a threshold. It was a combination. I was running on different energy systems. You know, I could maybe hold a VO2 max effort for longer than most could. So it skews those numbers. So I was getting down to silly weights of sort of 62 kilos at times. I did a self-funded training camp after the classics because I was so annoyed at my results or not my results, but just how I, how I felt. And I remember doing this sort of seven, eight hour ride, fasted around Mallorca, and I was, I was, I was seeing stars by then. I was dizzy. I'd, I got back to the hotel. My bike was, it was a rainy day. It was the day of the Mallorca, um, three, one, two. It was like a bike ride around there. And I had people like sportif riders coming past me. I threw my bike in the swimming pool because I couldn't be bothered to, you know, hose it off, fished it back out. I was, it was, you know, it was an absolute daze and I got even lighter, but yeah, it didn't, it, it didn't help my performance at all. That's so interesting because this Kimalai rider for, Israel Cycling Academy now. Yeah. He's just come out and said that he's he lost four years of his cycling career mm. trying to make weight and trying to be light and stuff. And I would say it's probably the biggest thing that Yorkshire Grit is about is body dysmorphia and, mm. and diet. And that's the biggest thing I think we've learned from this podcast. Every single cyclist that's been on has had an issue of it. And, and they're difficult lessons to learn because I've been, been in that situation before. It was only it was only that summer when I kind of had it like a reset, put some weight back on, moved back home for a bit, and I started doing training that I used to do again. Started doing less of um, the stuff that I was prescribed by the coaches and doing my own thing. I started going out motor pacing with my dad and stuff, and the numbers were coming back up, and I started to feel really good. Got selected for Worlds again that year, um, which I never got to ride, but it took me, you know, realizing actually the coaching I've been prescribed by these guys and wasn't necessarily right for me. Yeah. I think that my physiology wasn't understood. I think that's I think that's a really good thing too. Because I know Josh struggled with it as well because mm. you and him both 
Well, oh, he was a bit of a maverick, Josh, wasn't he? Naturally yeah. talented, but maybe didn't really fit the... Yeah, he just didn't... He, they'd prescribe him these ridiculous sessions. Yeah. He had to write on his um, stem. Oh, the same, yeah. Or like you print it out and it'd be like an essay. Well, I'm not being funny, but like Josh Edmondson, when he trains, he trains. Mm. And he would just go out in the morning and do three hours, mm. come home and then go out for an hour and then do chain gang on a Tuesday and Thursday. Like, that's like, that's a quality, you know, do a mm. Wednesday ride, whatever. But yeah, I kind of look at that at the Team Sky and, I, you know, obviously I've thought a lot about you this past week coming on here and I've looked at Alex Peters, mm. yourself, Josh. You know, it seems to be, because Joe Dombrowski and that other lad, American lad, they signed. Boswell. Boswell, they signed and they kind of got a bit. You know, there's too much of a pattern there really to kind of, yeah, if you maybe, would would you say if your face doesn't fit that kind of thing at Sky? Without... Not just your face doesn't fit, but I think there's a, there was a certain rider type and they I've read some things recently that kind of maybe distanced themselves from the style of racing that they had before and it's a bit more spontaneous, maybe exciting now, but certainly when it was, um, you know, it was mainly Froomey and, and Wigo there, it was very much... 400 watts, 400 watts. Yeah, really, and you had a, like Kirianka, people like that, they really fitted the mould. Just great time trialists and, and, and sort of climbers. Yeah, definitely that wasn't... I, I didn't fit that mould. I don't think um, Boswell did. There were a few riders who weren't really, you know, of that ilk. It's really interesting to hear that. Obviously... 2013 got a little bit worse when the um how how did it happen with the wada thing because you you were just de were you de were you dehydrated because you'd gone out on the piss it wasn't so much out on the piss but yeah it was it was celebrating the the week before yeah, yeah. body dehydrated mm. and then what you get a test and it shows up i'm not sure how exactly how it works but i went to so i flew to um falkenberg well, yeah. uh is Amsterdam way, yeah. And I think the morning after my flight, I remember I didn't really eat or drink the day before. I had a knock on the door at like six in the morning and it was for a blood test. This is like two days before the Worlds. So we did that, did the Worlds. And then the day after the Worlds, I flew to Manchester to do a another blood test, which was done by British Cycling. Um, same machines, but vastly different. Yeah. sort of readings and it was the one that was done before the Worlds and I didn't hear about this for nine months afterwards or something that triggered a biological passport violation or whatever which I was led to believe it, you know when we looked into it with the defence that you needed kind of like three strikes or three things but they just deemed this one significant enough to say well we think that is way too far out you're joking mm. and is that your hematocrit is that what they're looking at is that uh, it's just, I think it's a combination of things. So it's a thing called an off score. I can't remember the, I remember at the time, it's going back a few years now. It's a, it's a calculation that's done on your percentage of reticulocytes, which are immature blood cells, like new red blood cells. It's that, your hematocrit, and I think there's something else. And it's a calculation. And if you fall out outside, if you're higher or lower, it can be indicative of having had a transfusion. So they're basically saying you would you would open yeah, yeah, probably a, a band method or something like that. How did that feel? Um, yeah, it was like my world fell apart when I got the I got an email. I'd been out on the mountain bike. It was about a week before the worlds, and um, yeah, you get that email. And you think, oh, it's from the UCI because you get them all the time for updates and whatnot. And um, but surely they, they would have seen during the season you'd have had irregular. You know, how can it just be a one-off? It, I don't it get fluctuates. It. Um, you can 
you can go online. I mean, there's a there was a system called um, uh, it was on the Adam system. It was like a database, and you can go on and see these when you do a test, and you can go on and see your uh, results, blood and urine and whatnot. And I think you can fall. You set your own uh, sort of parameters. You know, you might be up and down, but they establish a pattern, and everyone's is different. And as long as you're kind of not going above these high and low limits that are set, and obviously I had this one test which fell outside of these parameters. Because then they think you're microdosing or something. No, I th- microdosing, from my understanding, is somewhat something that you would fall within the parameters. This was something that it was one value which was quite far outside of my normal values. Bloody hell. Yeah, you, that is, that's tough to take. And then you try to fight it. I mean, that was, that was a nightmare. I had some great legal counsel, Cody Unsworth QC, and and he was brilliant. Because I, I bet, have you seen Making a Murderer? Yes. After the crime, mm. blah, 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 so many years on, they sit down and they look at it. Mm. And then they pick. I reckon they could do that with yours, you know. Yeah, I mean, the whole way through, you've got, like I said, my QC, he'd been working on some, you know, pretty big cases and probably, you know, murder cases and serious stuff. And... We felt this was a little bit Mickey Mouse, you know, the same, the sort of same forensic standards weren't being applied. And you think, why would the burden of proof lie with us? Why isn't it with, you know, say the UCI who are bringing the case to prove rather than me to disprove? Because it's such a difficult thing to disprove. And it dragged on for ages. We were pretty confident, you know, that it would have gone away or we would have, you know, before it even got to, got to the trial, like we wrote to the UCI and you think you can sort of explain it away. Um, but all, all support from the team was sort of rescinded at that time. You're joking. Um, they just didn't want to have anything to do I with th- it. Yeah, that's, I think they just didn't want the um didn't want the heat associated with it for the sponsors or whatnot. So um I can I guess I can understand that position, although I I, I don't agree with it. But yeah, it was it wasn't easy. And it, it like I said, it dragged on for ages. I had that uncertainty. I thought, all right, am I gonna get to race again this year? Um so I kept myself at a decent weight kind of but I didn't have the I didn't have any sort of motivation to train. Okay. And I think it was June or July that I had the hearing. And obviously, I lost that. And the UCI has never lost a passport case. I mean, it's their it's it's their main tool, isn't it? They can't be seen. When it got leaked to the Sunday Times, I got a call from um, my agent Andrew McQuaid, and he said, "Just so you know, it's going to be in the Sunday Times tomorrow. Someone has leaked it to David Walsh there." And I saw it in the paper and everything. And that's that was so difficult. You know, other riders might get a passport case brought against them, and it never reaches the public sphere because it's dealt with. And they may be able to explain it or whatnot. Mine was put out there in the court of public opinion. You know, you're guilty straight away. So that was that was really tough. And and once it's out there, you think, well, they've got to see this as this passport as like an infallible defence against um, banned methods, blood transfusions, and whatnot. So you just think, even if it went to the court of arbitration, I ploughed loads of money into that, and to get to the court of arbitration, that was going to cost way way more. I didn't even I didn't even it wasn't an option for me to go there. Because you get this, I probably would have got the same result. Yeah, because you do hear about the cyclists and they keep it all hushed, don't they? Because, yeah, someone... We normally don't hear about it, but I knew about, I was, you know, through contacts in cycling, knew about other riders who had, like, big name riders and uh, quite a few who'd had these passport violations and they'd had X amount of days to respond to the UCI. And obviously they must have satisfied some criteria and it goes away, but I didn't, you know, that wasn't the case for me. And then, so basically, get the sack and then it's kind of... (sighs) Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I got a two-year ban, which is backdated to the start of the year because I hadn't raced. So I had about 18 months or something to go before I could have gone back. But was that kind of like nailing the coffin? Oh, it wasn't an option. I, I, you know, I've sort of let go of it now. I did quite a while ago, but I was, um, I was pretty bitter about it for ages, you know, to put it mildly. <laughs> this 
is the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Yeah, so the Sky thing, obviously that's a huge trauma for someone mentally mm. to get over. How were the few years after that? that? That's the thing. There's a lot of fallout that comes from that. and um, it Tremendous took, amount of fallout. It took me a while to process it. You know, I'm quite good at, I've got quite sort of a tough exterior and I don't necessarily always deal with these things um, at the time. And it comes out later. You know, what was the hardest thing for me was cycling. It gave me structure. You know, you've got your, your season planned out. You might have future goals. You've got your, your week, your day. You're looking forward to your off season. There's every, everything's accounted for. Um, and I'm someone I'm quite goal oriented. You know, I like to, um, even if I've got like, like a, you know, a list of things to do to tick off, it's satisfying. So you go from that and having everything and also your identity is, is linked with who you are. You know, people want your time and to going from that to being, well, nobody and having nothing and thinking, well, I need to get a job or and your days are just sort of pretty empty. Um, that was the toughest thing. And that's what I really struggled with. Just just that loss of, of sort of structure and, and, and everything in life. Were you sleeping in? Yeah, massively. I didn't get out of bed some days. You know, you just think, what's the point? And I know that's kind of like Been a defeatist there. attitude, but no, you, are, you, you have to go through that. Yeah, definitely you do. Yeah, you have to go through the lows. Depression is this thing, like Tyson Fury hit the nail on the head with it, it being like a mist that comes and gets you when you don't really want it to and you haven't mm. really allowed it to. But you've just got to kind of like roll with it. And, but you seem like you're in a great place like now today. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like I definitely am. It's taken a while to to get to that point. You know, there was a time when you sort of self medicate with you know you drink too much and and whatnot just to. Were you drinking a fair bit? Yeah, I guess it's a form of what, escapism, really. You know, you just think binge drinking or yeah, properly drinking. No, not like daily, but no, no, nothing like that. But um, still problematic in a way that you know I might go a couple of weeks, but then you just you know you might have a, a two day bender. Yeah, yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, I know all about that. Mm. Um, yeah, you're just self-medicating because the pain's too hard. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just it's just to kind of, uh, like I said, it's to escape whatever that feeling is at the time. But you're only putting it off, and you're actually making it worse because it's a, it's a depression, isn't it? So when you when you come out of that sort of stupor two days later or whatever, you feel worse than when you when you started. So yeah, that was a sort of a, a tough cycle to break as well. So you're living back in Plymouth. Yes. You made a bit of a comeback with Saint Piran. Yeah, just amateur races, just yeah. And then, is it, you know, you're not interested in getting back on the bike competitively? You know, you're... Nah. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> too hard over. a sport, isn't it? Just I tickle. like it, but yeah. I couldn't be bothered to get my weight down. I'm too competitive as well. Even if I thought, oh, I'll make a bit of a comeback, do some National Bs. Well, I wouldn't be satisfied if I wasn't kind of winning them. You yeah, know? So I couldn't do that. I'd rather just not race. Yeah. I've got a gravel race this year. That's about it. Do you watch cycling? Um, I watch I watch the Tour. I watch the Worlds. I'll... Um, I watch some of the classics, rarely. I will look on cycling news at some of the results, but there's so many new guys now, I don't even know half the names, so I don't follow it that closely. And then, have you got any mates from Sky? Do you keep in touch with anyone? Um, not really. Staff? I, I sacked off all social media a few years back. I just felt it was, a not, it was an unhealthy distraction, and I lost touch with quite a lot of people there, like, I, you know, people like Vossi or, you know, Thwaites or people from Enduring, some, some Sky lads like Boswell and stuff. Yeah, so not so much nowadays, no. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's like the machine keeps going, mm. even when you're not in it. You've just got to accept that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you think, oh, they'll care about me. <laughs> nah, the fuck. <laughs> Business, isn't it? So you're doing uh, properties now? Yeah. Busy with that, making dollar? Yeah, pretty busy. Yeah, it's going well. Um, bit of a slow burner, but yeah, as as 
you know, as you as you add more, it gets it gets busier. There's always something to deal with. You know, I've had there are people less fortunate than you know than myself who, who haven't been able to pay through the pandemic and stuff, which is sort of you know that uh, sort of passed back to me. So um, yeah, it's been a challenging sort of twelve months, but no, no complaints in a, in a good place in the main. And have you got a, a bird on the go? Have you you know? No, not on? currently. No. no. I was. I well, you can't during the pandemic, can you? You're not, you're not supposed to go. No. It's difficult. <laughs> Just isn't it? seeing what's about there. I was, like, I was doing a bit of bumbling on the train on the way out. We are. <laughs> trying to get someone in Birmingham. Crazy matches on there. <laughs> yeah. Phone screen. Coventry. <laughs> <laughs> I had a message a minute ago. I heard John from Leeds. I was like, oh, I don't know how to break it to you. Uh, yeah, but... <laughs> I, live in, I live in Plymouth. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, yeah. mate, you're, uh, you're looking really well. Uh, trim, well-groomed. Can uh, I put that on my Bumble profile? Yeah. I was never at your level. Uh, I did some races with you, but I was never y at your level. So it's um, it's been really nice to kind of get to know you and you know what you've been through and stuff. And um, you know you've you're here today, and you seem like you've completely yeah. It's took a while to get there, but fucking hell, it takes everyone a while. I'm still I'm still going through all my processes right now. And it's always an ongoing thing, you know. There, there might be days when you kind of have a have a bit of a relapse or whatever. So yeah. I think it's uh, it's it's always a bit of a work in progress. Yeah, I think addiction is. Yeah, I could talk about it all day. I find it really fascinating mm. if you actually research addiction. Mm -hmm. I it, think there's something in the in, in athletes as well. You're sort of predisposed to that. You know, you become obsessed about your training or whatever else. When that goes, if you if you exit the sport in a less graceful manner, like I did, or if you retire, if you're a bit bitter. If it's been taken out of your, like I got pneumonia, yeah, you got, you know, whatever. When it's not on your terms and you're young, it is fucking hard. But I think even if it is on your terms, if you're not, unless you've got another career, which you just like sort of segue smoothly into, you're... Um, like I've tried CrossFit like now. Nah. nah. Tried running. That's nah. like a, that's like Scientology, isn't it? CrossFit. It's you like know, a cult. I, yeah. Like I go to the gym, I'm like, mm. yeah. yeah. I started training a bit again at the moment. I mean, I am enjoying it. I, I've got like a bit of an obsession with pills and I think it comes from cycling. Mm. Like uh, take some painkillers or, you know, co-codamol or something. Oh, there's always something for something, isn't there? Yeah. And, you know, like I said to you, I only, I only tr tramadol once. Mm. Uh, it did actually help. Uh, <laughs> it just made me feel really spaced out, but mm. I'm not saying that's a good thing, by the way. I'm just being honest. But I think after that, I think I've always got used to like a comfort in taking a pill. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's there's uh, definitely a. It's. I remember John Herity saying that a lot of the time when, especially during his era, riders would dope or whatever. It was it was the the ritual behind it, and he likened it to um, uh, like heroin addicts. And yeah. They, it, you know the the whole process and the of of scoring the stuff. Yeah, exactly. All that kind of stuff, and that was as much part of it as the actual end result. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, I think it is, and it's something that I would like to. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I might go back to uni or something or whatever and uh but look john you've got a long journey home i have <laughs> but look thank you ever so much for coming up from plymouth thanks for having me yeah if i'm ever down if i ever go to st ives or oh, i'll go Bude. yeah bit of uh, barnstable yeah that's Devon. yeah if i'm ever there i'll call him yeah you should do definitely um no it'd be nice to have a drink with you we'll have we'll have a cider That'll be good. Right. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And yeah, we will we will see you soon. Keep positive. Keep your chin up. It's not going to be too much longer. See you soon. Bye. The Yorkshire Grit Podcast. 
Subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify.